Hey, real quick, a quick word of thanks to today's sponsor, Vertex Innovations, before we get started. For over 17 years, Vertex has been building the nation's wireless and broadband networks. Providing project management, network engineering, and construction oversight are just some of the ways Vertex helps their clients. So if you're looking for more of a partner to help you with your wireless network designs, construction, implementation, or operations, reach out to Vertex. You can find them at vertex-us.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-X-U-S.com. Welcome to the 5G Guys podcast, the premier resource for industry insiders and newcomers alike to explore anything and everything wireless telecommunication. We discuss, explain, and explore all things wireless technology. So let's dive right in. Welcome your host, Dan McVaugh and Wayne Smith. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of the 5G Guys. I'm Wayne Smith and joined by my co-host, Dan McVaugh. Hey, everyone. Welcome back for another episode. Great to have you. Um, We're excited today to have Dr. Jim Lansford as our guest. Um, Jim is currently the Director of Technical Standards at Qualcomm, working on Wi-Fi, autonomous vehicles, and other advanced technologies. Prior to Qualcomm, uh, Dr. Lansford has been the Chief Technology Officer for three different wireless startups and also a senior technology leader for Harris and Intel. He currently and previously has served as a member or chair on numerous technology standards groups, uh, whose role it is to define the new technologies that are coming out and how they work so that they'll be compatible across multiple industries, geographies, and companies. Dr. Lansford also plays an important role in the research and education sector. He's been the teaching and research faculty at Georgia Tech, University of Colorado, Oklahoma State University, and Texas State University. So welcome, Jim. We're excited to have you here and help us explain the basics of Wi-Fi. Thank you. Thank you. I'm I, uh, delighted to be here, and hopefully our, our listeners will find this, uh, this conversation useful and informative and help them understand how all this technology works. Awesome. So uh, what we like to do a lot of times, we've done several of these 101 episodes. We've done a cellular 101 that kicked off our season last year, I think is our first episode, Wayne, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and others. We've done some on satellite, uh, our previous episode. So a good way we always found to start off is just kind of go through the history of the technology, how it came about, what it was intended for, maybe how it's changed over time. Is that maybe someplace you could kick us off, Jim? Yeah, sure. That that's that's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting area. In fact, the, the history of Wi-Fi in a lot of ways goes back almost 50 years, maybe a little more than 50 years. The University of Hawaii developed a technology called Aloha Net back in the early 70s, and they developed the technology to be able to communicate between the different islands, the Hawaiian islands. And what they needed was a radio technology that allowed people to send data packets back and forth between different places on the islands and do so in a way that wasn't necessarily centrally coordinated. So there wasn't any kind of cellular infrastructure at that time or anything like that. So they wanted a technology that would allow multiple users in sort of an ad hoc fashion to uh, communicate with each other over what's called a packet radio network, where we're sending little packets of data. And that Aloha system, it's called the Aloha Protocol, for obvious reasons, since it was developed in Hawaii, it has it eventually evolved into what uh, it became part of wired Ethernet. And then because it started out as wireless, it was kind of interesting. It turned came around full circle and back about 30 years ago, that technology started being integrated into what we now know as Wi-Fi. And, and by wired Ethernet, that's basically the, the cabling that most people would see in their office that their computer might hook up to if it's not using Wi-Fi, right? 
Right. So if you have a cable modem or a DSL modem or, you know, however you get connected to the Internet, quite often those devices, whether it's called a modem or a router or whatever the term you might have heard, uh, it'll have a little connector in the back. It looks like an overgrown phone cord connector, uh, and that is connecting you over a wired technology called Ethernet. And Wi-Fi is actually an outgrowth of that technology that's wireless Ethernet. So the way to really think of Wi-Fi is it's sort of that wired computer connectivity cable, but being done wirelessly. Makes sense. I'm kind of a fan. I'm notorious for weird analogies to try to explain things. Uh, you know, Wayne and I have explained to our listeners how uh, how Spectrum works uh, and 5G and 4G and 3G work using an analogy of, a, you know, cars on a highway and the, the highway is the spectrum and the cars are the technology. Do you do you have any sort of similar analogies you've used over the years to explain how how Wi-Fi works to people? Yeah, absolutely. I, there's, you know, of course, I teach. I actually teach the Wi-Fi class at CU Boulder, and so one of the ways I introduce the concept to my students is: imagine you're at a cocktail party, and there's a group of you who want to talk to each other, and in these in these groups of people at a party, people can come and go. And, and, and the way that Wi-Fi works is kind of solving that problem uh, from a, what, a protocol perspective, a formal set of rules perspective, where we have a bunch of users that want to, to communicate with each other and eventually maybe through uh, to the Internet. And then we do that. I, this cocktail party analogy allows me to explain how that people get permission to talk and, and that we listen before talk, for example, uh, at the cocktail party. So if you're at a cocktail party and people are talking, we always listen when nobody's talking, then we'll start talking. And if two people start talking at once, then everybody goes, oh, wait, you know, we have to stop. And we back off, and then somebody will start talking again. And, and that's the kind of basic concept behind the way that Wi-Fi works is that you have people that – you have a random number of users. could be any number of people that want to join the conversation. They'll all start trying to decide when they can talk and when they have to listen – and, and and this cocktail party analogy is quite useful to help explain the way that, that Wi-Fi and, and actually a lot of other kinds of networks uh, operate. Yeah, that's re- really interesting. I know that a lot of folks, you know, in their homes and has, since technology has evolved, we have so many connections. So per your analogy, you know, when you come into a house like mine, I have a smart home and then all of my teenagers with all of their devices does Wi-Fi prioritize the connection or are we all equally gaining bandwidth at the same time? Well, that, that's a great question. In the early days of Wi-Fi, and, and so to give you a little bit of, of more history, there, there's a, a group of engineers that get together six times a year. We've been doing it virtually for the last couple of years, but there's a group of engineers that get together six times a year to work on the rules for how that Wi-Fi works. It's a bunch of communications engineers that we decide on the protocols, the, the etiquette, if you will, of how people talk. And in the early days of Wi-Fi, which was really Wi-Fi began uh, in the standards bodies about 30 years ago, and the first version of Wi-Fi uh, that came out was around 1997. And in that version of Wi- the early versions of Wi-Fi, every communication packet was of equal priority. So if you were trying to do voice or video or listen to a thermostat or whatever you were doing, every packet had equal priority. Every bit of information was equal priority and nobody had any priority or anybody else. And so again, at the cocktail party, 
uh, everybody had equal rights to jump in into the conversation anytime that they felt like that the medium that the air was you know the, the, nobody was talking. Well, obviously that works better for some things than others. And so, starting really around um, not quite 20 years ago in the early 2000s, we realized that some packets needed to have priority over others. Some kinds of things like voice conversations, voice packets. If you're talking with someone, then that voice information you want it to get through pretty fast. You can't let it sit around for a second or two waiting to get permission to get out on the network. And so we prioritize voice the highest and then video next. And then we have other kinds of traffic. Uh, they're called best effort and background traffic that we prioritize low at a lower priority. And so today's Wi-Fi, we, we do give priority to some kinds of information, particularly voice and video, over other kinds of information like thermostats and, you know, just general, what you call general background traffic. You know, I, I think um, one thing that I've, I've recognized a lot, Jim, uh, when people uh, find out that I work in wireless as a, as a profession, I hear a lot of people ask me the same questions about Wi-Fi they ask me about cellular, i.e., who has the best Wi-Fi service, right? <laughs> and so that question sort of points to a misunderstanding of how Wi-Fi is different than cellular. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people don't understand that really all Wi-Fi is is a wireless extension of some sort of network. And so in the case of people's homes, they may have DSL service from their phone company. They may have cable modem service from their cable company, whatever sort of internet service they have or other computer networks they have. Wi-Fi is just extending that via wireless, right? That That's correct. And in fact, yeah, it's uh, the industry is somewhat misleading in the way that they advertise the numbers on the box for your Wi-Fi router because you'll see people talking about gigabit or multi-gigabit uh, wireless Wi-Fi. When in fact the the limiting factor is generally the size, the, the bandwidth of the connection between your home and the the broader internet. That your access point in your house, the thing that controls your Wi-Fi network may be capable of really, really high speeds. But if you're trying to go out to the internet and download a web page, the, the thing that d dictates how fast that can happen is really the connection to the internet, not the speed of the Wi-Fi system in your house. That's, that's useful maybe for transferring files inside your home to other places, but not that, use, not that helpful when it comes to going outside your home to the internet. Or conversely, in the earlier days, the late '90s, early 2000s, it was the other way around, right? Your 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 Wi-Fi connection, the Wi-Fi portion was slower than your bandwidth to your home, and that's still the case sometimes now. And so people would do like a speed test over Wi-Fi and say, "Oh, well, I'm paying for 100 meg from Comcast, and I'm not getting 100 meg." Well, that's not the Comcast problem; that's the wireless problem, right? On the Wi-Fi. Yeah. And and. Uh, to kind of go back to our cocktail party analogy, if you have two people talking to each other in a room by themselves where there's no contention, there's no uh, people having to share the, the air, the sound, then you can go really, really fast. But in Wi-Fi, we're trying to support, you know, you, I think a lot of people would be surprised, you know, once you get all these gadgets in your home, it's not unusual for people to have 20, 30, 40 things connected to their home Wi-Fi. And Imagine a cocktail party again, if, if you've got 20 or 30 people sitting in a circle trying to talk to each other, if some of them really want to have a long, a, a lot to say, it makes it hard for anybody else to get a word in edgewise. And it's the same in Wi-Fi, that 
the the home your home Wi-Fi system is inherently a shared medium, a shared uh, cocktail party conversation, and so anything that hogs that uh, that medium, hogs the air, uh, makes it harder for anybody else to get through. So a lot of times in a home environment, especially if somebody uh, different Wi-Fi devices have different speed capabilities. So some older Wi-Fi devices may talk really slow, and everybody has to wait for them to finish before they get a chance to speak. Yeah, I think, Dan, that's a great question. I get that a lot at my house. Hey, the Wi-Fi is not working. Actually, the Wi-Fi is working perfectly. It's it's the provider and the broadband provider. And trying to explain that, I think a lot of people miss that piece of it, that it is only as good as the connection to the outside world, whether it's cable, point-to-point, whatever that broadband technology is. And that is one of our main, main like, my wife, I, I said so we have multiple floors, and this may be a good question for you, Jim, is that you mentioned the word access point. And, you know, a lot of folks, when they get Wi-Fi in their home, connection to the router is in a way different place in their house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there's limiting factors in any Wi-Fi, just as in cellular or anything else, of the environment that you may need multiple access points in order to have good Wi-Fi in your whole house. And so has technology changed enough in order to, I know you, we use an, a manufacturer called Ubiquity, right? I have access points, garage, upstairs, downstairs. And we seem to now, I've alleviated the problem in my home of having poor connectivity because the car requires uh, a Wi-Fi connection to do software uploads and different things. So do you think the technology has improved in a way that we're, multiple access points are necessary or is it getting so powerful that we don't have to go down that path? So uh, let's take this cocktail party analogy and step further yeah. to, to the situation you're describing that what an access point does is really the access point decides is, is the person in the middle of the conversation. So if we have a group of people at a party in, in a Wi-Fi system, they're not actually talking to each other. They say something to the access point and the access point then either transmits that information to the internet. So the access point, if you will, is the person in the middle who has a headset on who can communicate with somebody outside the room, which can be a bandwidth problem, right? So if, if it can only handle you, the person the, the, the person in the middle, the access point can only send so much information outside the room. So the people standing around all need to communicate with that person in the middle, the access point, and then they that person in the middle communicates to the outside world. Well, that only you know that can only work so far, right? If somebody's the opposite side of the room, the access point might not be able to hear them when they say, "Hey, I need to I need to say something." And so we can have multiple access points. So imagine another person who's a conversation leader in another part of a big room that they're connected by a headset to the person, the main person who's connected to the outside world. So the two people who are the conversation leaders can talk to each other over their wire, their headset, if you will. And then the person who's the outside world communicator gets the opportunity to relay that to the outside. So you can have clusters of conversation in your home. These are called mesh networks, where the two conversation leaders, the two access points uh, can communicate with each other. And then one of them goes to the outside world. So it helps extend the range. It makes it where you can carry on conversations over a larger area. These have to be designed carefully, however, because Obviously, the two access points, the two conversation leaders, can't be carrying a conversation over the same 
pipe, if you will, the same cup and string that the people that they're they're talking to in their conversation group is part of. So that, hope that, that hope kind that, of yeah, that, that 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 I think the analogy is awesome. I love it. You you and I could get along really well with our analogies. <laughs> I love it too. It really it explains a lot and like I will try to use some of that vernacular with my with my family about the access point side of it. So your your point about um I think you touch a little bit on the concept of spectrum and we've talked about this in other episodes whether it be in cellular in satellite other technologies and and we've we've talked a lot to the fact that in cellular for example there's very specific frequency bands that the FCC allocates and regulates and um in most cases that spectrum is given exclusive rights to a specific carrier to use. So Verizon has different spectrum than say AT&T or, or T-Mobile. In the world of Wi-Fi, can you explain how spectrum works and how that's uh, managed and regulated by the FCC? So I, that's a great question. One of the reasons why Wi-Fi has been so spectacularly successful is because it uses something called unlicensed spectrum. And, and this really was an outgrowth of uh, the rules that the FCC created in the late 1980s. And, and so uh, the first band that was used by Wi-Fi, the first part of the spectrum that was used by Wi-Fi is the same part of the spectrum that's used by microwave ovens, uh, was used by cordless phones a, a lot. They're not so much used by cordless phones anymore in that band. But, but it's a band that's there. you don't have to pay to use. It's completely free. It's, it's called, in Europe, they call it license exempt. In the United States, we call it unlicensed, which means the FCC sort of sets the ground rules and anybody can use the spectrum as long as they obey the ground rules. And they can use it for just about anything. Uh, and so, like I said, in, in the, the, this band that's called the 2.4 gigahertz industrial scientific and medical band, which is where Wi-Fi started, you had cordless phones and baby monitors and microwave ovens and Bluetooth and all kinds of stuff that could, webcams could all operate in that band. And, of course, they interfere with each other. They all step on each other. And the FCC basically says... It's fair game. You you have to design your systems to be able to withstand the amount of interference that you might get from other devices and that you can't, if there's somebody who is already an given permission by the FCC to have a higher priority, you have to give way to them and let them do their thing. But by and large, the 2.4 gigahertz band especially is is global. Every you know, There's microwave ovens all around the world using it. There's Wi-Fi all around the world using it. And nobody has to pay. So all you have to do is develop the chips, produce the equipment, and then get the products out in the market, and nobody has to pay to use the spectrum. And and the the, the regulatory bodies that you have spent time on in your career, those are the bodies, the, the, the standards bodies that are setting those rules. Rules are maybe things like how loud you can talk, i.e., in the cocktail party. Nobody can talk over certain levels so that everyone else has a fair equal chance to to the room. Right, right. And so those standards bodies, which are the engineers that develop the protocols, work pretty close, try to work closely with the regulators. And and so there's a back and forth. You know, the, almost all of these regulations are done in a public process. And so all the stakeholders, the people that develop Wi-Fi products, always get involved in helping to try to craft the rules that are favorable to Wi-Fi. But like you said, there can be, they, they, what they don't want to allow is these unlicensed users to scream at the top of their lungs. So yeah, nobody else in the cocktail party can hear anybody else. And I have a little bit of experience with this. There's, 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 there were three different of these industrial scientific and medical bands. 
And actually, there's one that's not used by, well, it wasn't used by Wi-Fi originally. There's a version of Wi-Fi that uses it now, around 900 megahertz. And there were cordless telephones that used that as well. And it turns out that frequency band also is used to dry out plywood at plywood mills in the Pacific Northwest. And they run really, really high power, which means that a cordless phone or even a 900 megahertz Wi-Fi system near one of those plywood manufacturing plants didn't work because <laughs> they were so loud that the Wi-Fi systems couldn't hear each other. That's funny. <laughs> so even, even well, yeah. today, Wi-Fi, if you operate Wi-Fi near your microwave oven, you, people may have noticed that their Wi-Fi doesn't work as well when their microwave oven is turned on. There's one particular channel in Wi-Fi that is right and smack in the middle of what wi the microwave ovens use. And I know in my home, I have to put I have to put my access point on a different channel that's when it's near, you know, for, for the devices that are near the microwave oven. Well, it's interesting. So, you know, when you talk about spectrum and it's free and it's around the world, right? And then along came Netflix. Along came these these companies that are that don't pay for infrastructure, but more or less suck the bandwidth out of it. And so is that why you find in public net uh, Wi-Fi situations that they throttle that kind of usage or, you know, because otherwise you, there would be no room to talk to anyone else with that kind of video streaming on Wi-Fi, huh? It's certainly true that that if you look in uh, like an apartment building, you know, you know, I know Netflix and Hulu and all of these other video streaming services that around dinner time, you know, they're they're chewing up a tremendous amount of bandwidth from the ISP, the, the Internet service providers. And in an apartment building uh, where Wi-Fi only has a certain number of channels and everybody has to share, you can certainly have a significant amount of interference. We call it packet collisions between users trying to run, you know, video streaming at pretty high uh, levels. And so it's an issue. We've tried to solve it in the standards bodies by there's a, you may have heard of Wi-Fi 6. The, the engineering speak for Wi-Fi 6 is 802.11ax, and the English term for 11ax is high-efficiency wireless. Well, we've tried to design the protocol to, to uh, be more efficient when we're dealing with multiple video users trying to share the medium. How do we schedule these video packets so that we can lower the probability they're going to collide in the air, if you will? And you, that's uh, that that's you bring up a, I think a topic that uh, I wanted to touch on. So I think this is a good segue, which is in our cellular um, discussions with uh, earlier episodes, we've talked about the G's of cellular, the the you know three G, four G, five G, and uh, you've just sort of touched on the latest version. You, really, Wi Fi has gone through a similar uh, growing up, hasn't it, in terms of generations? Could you speak a little bit to that? Oh, my, yes. So the original version of Wi-Fi was uh, published, the standard was published in 1997. Then there was another version that came out fairly quickly after that in 1999. And that's the, the 1997 version is not common. Well, it's I, I, should, I started to say it's not commonly in use, but that's not really true. You could buy, you could take a device. Uh, I, I, one of the things I tell my class is you can buy, uh, take a Game Boy from 20 years ago, and it will still work with most Wi-Fi systems. Not, not all, but... Uh, and that's something that's unusual in the Wi-Fi world. You know, we're seeing 3G systems and cellular being turned off. But in fact, uh, a Wi-Fi access point can be made to talk to a device that's 20 years old if, if you just put it in what's called a legacy mode. And uh, so the history is that today's Wi-Fi is really built on the 1999 version uh, with some cases where we still use some of the 1997 signals even uh, in the 2.4 gigahertz band for older 
devices. So, so we had so today's Wi-Fi is Wi-Fi six. Uh, Wi-Fi seven is actually uh, there, there have been people just announced, <laughs> including Qualcomm, uh, Wi-Fi seven devices. And, and I chair the committee where all the new technologies in Wi-Fi start coming together. And, and I, what's called the Institute of Electronics Engineers, or IEEE. So we're starting to actually see presentations now on what it will be Wi-Fi 8 eventually. But if we go backwards, Wi-Fi 6 was uh, is based on something called 802.11ax. So again, that's engineering speak for the version of the standard. But we have prior versions to that. They didn't really have Wi-Fi numbers. They weren't Wi-Fi 5 or 4 or whatever, but, but they were prior versions that had names like 802.11n and 11a and 11g. So these are all prior versions of Wi-Fi. But we're all still, today's versions are still backward compatible all the way back to the ones uh, developed in 1999, surprisingly. That's a that's a really I think big and important point to understand because like you said in, in cellular and many other technologies that backward compatibility does not exist as you said three G is being turned off as we speak here this year by a lot of the carriers and you have a three G phone you're out of luck you won't be able to use it anymore so that uh, that that's a learning I didn't I didn't realize that that backward compatibility went so far back and and it can be a, a not only it can be valuable but can also be a hindrance and. It's because these older versions of Wi-Fi talk very slowly. So if if you have a device that's from uh, an 802.11g device that's on part of an 11ax uh, network or Wi-Fi 6 network, it will seem like it's driving in the slow lane at 30 miles an hour compared to the uh, the newer devices. And yet we we allow those devices on the network and everybody is patiently waiting for them to finish their <laughs> their transmission before they listen for the air to be clear and start transmitting to the higher speeds. That's awesome. Um, thanks for thanks for clearing that up. Uh, I think another related topic is we've talked a lot about 5G. It's the name of our podcast, 5G Guys. I have a lot of people that get really confused when they, they get their new... Wi-Fi access point from the the you know Best Buy or from their cable cable modem provider, and they turn it on and they've got Dan's Wi-Fi and Dan's Wi-Fi 5G, and they are so confused about they think that that means the same 5G we're talking about in the cellular I, world. Can you explain that? That is such a great <laughs> question because it is confusing, and unfortunately, the Wi-Fi uh, community has not done very much to remove that confusion. So so let me let me just do the to do a quick kind of definition of things. So th there are two main frequency bands for Wi-Fi. As I've, I've been talking mostly about what's called the 2.4 gigahertz band, which is where microwave ovens operate. There's another very, very common band that is operates in the, around five to six gigahertz in that region. So much higher frequency. It's outside of microwave ovens. There's a lot less interference up there. There's a lot more bandwidth up there. And so devices can run faster with less interference up in that band. Because it's running in the 5 gigahertz band, a lot of companies call that 5G. It's not the same as cellular 5G. <laughs> uh, it's 5, 5G and Wi-Fi means 5 gigahertz. 5G and cellular means fifth generation. So, you know, in Wi-Fi, in, in cellular, we had third generation or 3G, fourth generation or 4G. Fifth generation being 5G, we'll have we already have people working on the sixth generation of cellular 6G, but in Wi-Fi, because of that confusion, some of the Wi-Fi alliances tried to steer people towards using Wi-Fi 5, Wi-Fi 6, Wi-Fi 7, and Wi-Fi 8 
so to sort of have the same kind of generational numbering that cellular has and get away from this confusion of calling the 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi band 5G. Very confusing, not helpful for the consumer. <laughs> they have nothing, they aren't related, but it's, uh, but it is confusing. Yeah, I think a, a good question that came up for me is that like, who is is now the time for Wi-Fi 6? And if it is, you know, who should consider it, you know? in their networks. I mean, do you need it at home or is it just a nice to have at this point in time? Well, one of the things that Wi-Fi 6 is designed for, as I mentioned, Wi-Fi 6, uh, its its name inside the standards body was high efficiency wireless. And mm-hmm. there's a couple of things about Wi-Fi 6 that are useful, but they're probably most useful in enterprise uh, where there's high densities of access points, things like football stadiums, or places like that where you have a whole bunch of people trying to use the network at once. So Wi-Fi 6 uh, is is really a, a step above uh, previous generations of Wi-Fi and its ability to handle highly congested environments. And that's especially important uh, because there's a new frequency band that was just uh, uh, allocated by the FCC a, a little, you know, a couple of years ago, and that is the six gigahertz band. There's no older Wi-Fi technologies in that band. Uh, that band used to be used for, people remember those big satellite dishes, the big 10 foot across satellite dishes. Those were part of what was were called um, C-band satellite uplinks and people don't use those big satellite dishes anymore. So a lot of that spectrum was freed up for Wi-Fi to use. That spectrum doesn't have any, you know, there's no 20 year old device, Wi-Fi devices that use that spectrum. So it's what we call a green field. And you can be very efficient in using the most modern protocols in the six gig band. So there is a portion of there's a part of Wi-Fi six called Wi-Fi six E for extended that uses these new frequencies. Very little interference there. Very clean spectrum. Really wide bandwidths you can use, and and you can can really squeeze a lot of performance out of a Wi-Fi network, especially in a high density environment like an, an enterprise or a football stadium or an, a public venue, an auditorium or concert or something like that. You can really get a lot of performance out of these Wi-Fi six systems in those kind of environments. Are, hey Jim, are there also one of the things we've explained to to listeners uh, about a big difference between four G and five G is some of the the capabilities it brings at, at more of the enterprise level, the industrial level, where things like latency and jitter become important. Uh, latency meaning how quickly the network responds to you, not how fast the data comes down to you, right. for example. Is there something similar also in the different generations of, of Wi-Fi? And if so, is that prompting different use cases for Wi-Fi, similar to what's going on with the cellular generations of technology? So the Wi-Fi world is certainly trying to focus on improving latency. Most of the Wi-Fi world historically has been focused on speed, right? Uh, and and there is a, uh, there, there's a part of the 5G world called enhanced mobile broadband, uh, where it says faster and faster and faster and faster. And the Wi-Fi world has historically been focused on making it faster and faster and faster until Wi-Fi 6 came along. Because Wi-Fi 6 realized we're seeing a lot of congestion that's why we called it high efficiency wireless. We're trying to learn how to better manage these packet collisions and make the networks more efficient. But fundamentally, Wi-Fi is a listen before talk technology. It's the cocktail party. So if you've got something you need to say urgently and somebody's over there talking on some long winded thing, then we don't have a good way in Wi-Fi to shut them up 
to say, I need to say something right now. You know, the building's on fire or whatever. It's you. It's hard in Wi-Fi to force somebody to shut up in the middle of a con their their exposition to get an emergency or a high uh, a high urgency and information through. So we've tried to work in Wi-Fi to to figure out ways to do that to get her into these. Uh, special scenarios where we can do ultra-reliable low-latency communications. And that's, if you're familiar with 5G, there's a special class of services called ultra-reliable low-latency communications. Wi-Fi is trying to shift to do a better job of that, even though we're listening before talk. So if somebody's hogging the conversation in the, at the cocktail party, <clears throat> we, we can't really stop them in the middle of their, their conversation. But we can say, everybody be quiet because we need to listen for somebody to, who has something urgent to say. And so we can stop conversations. We can pause everybody's conversation briefly to let anybody emerge a high urgency packets through. But, but uh, fundamentally it's, it's a challenge for Wi-Fi being a listen for talk technology to handle these really super low latency. Like uh, one example people use is telemedicine or robotic surgery, right? If you're trying to have control a robot doing an appendectomy on somebody in Alaska from a thousand miles away, that robot really needs to be within milliseconds, thousands of a seconds responding to the surgeon's commands. It's hard to do over Wi-Fi in an environment where you got 50 people watching cat videos, right, on the same access point. So it's a challenge for us as engineers. We, we're, we've come up with some pretty clever ways to try to get around that, but but it is certainly a challenge in, in the Wi-Fi world to try to deliver these ultra-reliable, low-latency kinds of uh, packets. Wow. What a great podcast so far. I have learned so much about <laughs> something that I've used so often, you know, at home. And as we try to solve different customer-type applications. So what's the future hold for us? I know, you know, we ran a little long, but I'd love to hear what you, you know, from your experience and where are we going? Well, that's a, that's an interesting question. Uh, you know, Wi-Fi 7 uh, is coming up, and uh, Wi-Fi 7 is focused on uh, really taking more advantage of these new frequency bands that the FCC has given uh, for unlicensed use. So you'll see a lot of uh, really interesting new ways of really high bandwidth kinds of uh, use cases. Uh, we uh, the the Wi-Fi the early Wi-Fi eight discussions are going to focus on trying to solve these low latency uh, issues, trying to get latencies down below a thousandth of a second if we can, if we can figure out how to do that, and it's going to force us to create some different alternatives to the normal listen before talk operation. And in fact, there's some things that that are built into Wi-Fi six even that are more cellular like. Uh, we can actually, like I said, we can call pause everybody and do things more like cellular inside this what are called trigger frames where we can do things where we look at allocating time and frequency blocks in a very efficient way during these these intervals of, of what are called uh, the jar the, the acronyms OFDMA but it's really like cellular where we look at most efficiently how, how to divide up time and frequency to be very precise and very uh, high performance in the way that we use the, the frequency and time that we're given. So basically the future holds more speed, uh, lower latency, and the ability to handle uh, more of these kind of mesh satellite access points and, and having higher capacity in this what are called the backhaul channels, the way that the, 
these two access points talk to each other out of you know in their own side channels that's not part of the the cocktail party conversation so we're going to see basically more efficient use i would i would call it evolutionary maybe than rather than revolutionary in terms of wi-fi 7 and wi-fi 8 but 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 i think you'll see it just get better and better are are we also jim going to see some work that improves the way that Wi-Fi can be used in an integral way with other technologies like cellular as opposed to an either or. So like today, if I've got, you know, uh, Xfinity access points as a preferred network on my phone, when my phone finds one of those networks, it hooks onto it and it uses that instead of my cellular data. The problem is, is if that Xfinity access point is a crowded cocktail party and I can't get a word in edgewise, my phone isn't intelligent enough to recognize that. Bounce me off of that back to my cellular connection, for example. Are we going to start seeing efforts that are going to allow all of these technologies really to play together better and work as, as tools in a toolbox together to improve the, uh, the experience? What a, what a great question. And, and I, I, I'm tempted to make a shameless plug for Qualcomm here because we've been doing a <laughs> lot of we've been doing a lot of research into this idea of it's called uh, it's called multipoint internet protocol. And so imagine that if you have a cellular handset, it may have two or three different Wi-Fi bands it can use. It'll have a 5G connection. It might have a 4G connection. So imagine that if you're trying to download a cat video to watch on your phone, the phone looks across all the different connectivity technologies it has and tries to pull from all of them as much as it can simultaneously. And so because of the way that the internet works, we can take packets, those cat video packets up at uh, at this YouTube server, split them up and deliver some over cellular, some over Wi-Fi, looking for always the best way to optimally combine all those packets from the different sources. Can't say it's commonplace now, but we've been doing a lot of work in that, that realm. And um, uh, we have, uh, of course, obviously the handset providers are very interested in, in deploying this because... I know a lot of us have gotten on an AP somewhere and it's dead, right? And and it's like and the phone doesn't recognize it and you're trying to load a web page and it's not happening. So the phone needs to be smarter and we need, and, and especially at the lower layers of the technology, the communications technology, we need to do a better job of giving information to the, the upper parts of the, the phone to say, hey, uh, I, I can't give you the cat video using this, but I can give you some of it here and some of it here. And, and at the application, at the program you're running, the YouTube program, it puts everything back together and lets you see your cat video. Wow. That's, impre- that's impressive. I mean, that, I think for you, it's, it's a great topic, Dan, yeah. way to bring it up because, you know, we have a software company with application, right? And in failed signal areas, everybody wants it to work in offline mode. The problem is we don't know when offline mode and so as most of our, you know, our trouble tickets that come in, it's in that weird low bandwidth, low cellular, low Wi-Fi environment, and it just freezes things out. And so it's always a question that's going to come up. And, and so it's really up to the people working on the lower layers to be able to provide information into the, you know, so we're working on the radio. We have to give information further up the chain to say, this is what's working. This is what's not working. Give them, give the upper parts of the software the ability to make decisions based on what it's seeing, the reliability and, and throughput are at the lower layers, and then more intelligently put things back together from different pipes. So it, it's like you know having two or three different pipes into your home, and some of them get choked off sometimes or whatever, and 
you, you just try to dynamically maintain the amount of flow into your, your home that it needs. Perfect. Wow. What an education. Jim, it's been impressive. I mean, I've definitely enjoyed well, the thank conversation. Thank you. Thank you. I, 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 I've, got a, I've got gray hair and, and I've been doing this a long time. So I'm glad I was able to share some information with you today. Well, there's clearly a reason that you're also a teacher for a living. So uh, thanks so much for uh, for being a guest and for helping us understand more about the technology. And, uh, you know, maybe we can maybe we can have you back sometime and talk about some of the other amazing things you're working on, like driverless cars or something. Uh, that'd be great. There's yeah, that's a whole nother area is, is uh, community having cars talk about you behind your back. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, great. Well, thanks again, Jim. Thanks, uh, thanks everybody for tuning in for another episode. Uh, as always, you can uh, connect with us at 5gguys.com. Love to uh, hear your feedback, any questions you might have. As always, Wayne and I also open up people that have great ideas or, or questions, some uh, free consulting opportunities, maybe even be a guest on a, on a future podcast. So until next time, thanks, Jim. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks for having right, me. Take care. Take, yep, care. take care. Thanks for listening to the 5G Guys. For more resources and to connect with Dan and Wayne, check out their website at 5gguys.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that follow button and share this episode with your friends and family.